We're gonna have to stop eating chips. Why? Because we can't have like a chip-based pot up. Last chips. podcast i'm back this is Haley. today i brought on my boyfriend avi Bonerjee. you know him you love him or maybe not but he's here and he has um some perspectives to share i invited him on actually this week because i felt like these topics were well suited to us things they're things that we all we both think a lot about um this is of course my follow-up episode to my advice column this month so we'll be going over the five questions i answered we cover woke culture, your 30th birthday, therapy, how to put out creative work even if you're not confident in it, and lastly, tattoos and whether you should get one if you are a person who kind of wants one but might be overthinking the process or thinking more than you want to think. So, brought him on. I feel like he has some slightly different views than me on all these and also similar ones, so I felt like it could lead to an interesting conversation. So, grab some chips circle around and let's go okay welcome to the pod avi hello <laughs> i'm having you on the podcast because when i picked my five questions for dear baby this month they just reminded me of you hmm woke culture being old <laughs> therapy yeah confidence uh-huh. tattoos yep these are like i'm tattooed i'm old I'm you're, confident. And you're I'm not confident. Extremely woke. <laughs> um, and you really need therapy. And I really need therapy. Yeah, so I feel like you're just you're basically an expert on all these topics. <clears throat> mm-hmm. But actually, I thought it'd be interesting because not only do we talk a lot about these things, but I think we we have like an interesting mixture of agreeing and having like slight departures on these things. So I was like similar to Dear Danny. Yeah. Want to bring someone in with like a slightly different perspective. Slightly different perspective. Not contrarian. No. Just different. Okay, so let's start. Well, actually, first, let's do you want to just start. do? Do you want to do like a vibe check? Oh, I was just doing a bit where I would be contrarian. Yeah. yeah, sure. Okay, sorry. Yeah, it's going well so far. Vibe check. Yeah, let's do a vibe check. What's your vibes? My vibes are that I feel pretty good because um, I've been going on walks every morning. Uh huh. Right. Um, because I've been trying to be less sedentary. <laughs> Admirable goal. And it's making me. Kind of tired, but like also more energetic, mm-hmm. which makes no sense. Where are you going on those walks? I'm just going all the way around our neighborhood. Mm-hmm. There's you ask me this every day, and I I'm know. just like stop asking me. There's nothing to say. I literally wind around our blocks. He's <laughs> <laughs> so always like, "Where'd you go?" As if I like went to the top of a mountain and spoke to a wizard and came back. You come back and you're slightly misty um, from like working up a little sweat. And you're glowing, and you have, like, rosy cheeks. And you're like, I'm back, and it's an hour later. You wouldn't ask, where'd you go? (laughs) I walked by some, like, old ladies today, and they're like, just going for a walk? And I was like, absolutely. And it put me in the best mood. Dude. Like, there were so many cute little babies out. I was Uh just, like, I was walking through Herbert Von King Park, which is, I will say, I walk through there every day. We're going to bleep that out. (laughs) People know that I've been in that park before. Okay. Also, nobody listening <laughs> also, to this no, gives a shit yeah, about okay, where I go. Yeah. I'm not important enough. Are you are you stopping by the dog park? Yeah, of course. Mm-hmm. 
anyway, it felt pretty good. Like if you go there around like 10 a.m., like it's just ev everywhere is just like a baby on a blanket. That's very cute. That's just like baby on a blanket hour. Mm -hmm. And it's just kind of, it's good vibes. I was going to say, I think there's like a, like a community event at Herbert Von King this weekend where they're doing like community art and like craft time for like young children or kids. It's but. so sweet. So many kids are out today. Big groups of kids where they were like all hold, all had to hold on to a string, mm -hmm. you know, because they were yeah. part of like a class. Yeah. And they're all matching. Mm -hmm. It's very sweet. I was yeah. like, am I ovulating? Why are all these kids <laughs> looking so cute to me? Yeah. It is so adorable to see a bunch of kids just like uh, holding onto one string and walking together. I know. Like, why is that the cutest thing that's ever happened? They're so excited to be doing it. I want to hold onto a string. It's, you know, what's funny is like, you know, I feel like I've heard criticisms of public school, which is that it's just there to package you into a nice little worker for the economy. Yeah. And that's where it starts. It's it's teaching those kids how to be a strap hanger and just cram themselves into a subway. Stop. Don't ruin this for me. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway. So, yeah, I feel like... No, I feel like the vibes are pretty good, actually. The vibes are good. We're going to a dinner. Mm-hmm. I was just told Kat, I was like, I don't understand what this dinner is, but I'm happy that it's happening. And she's like, same. I'm like, you're okay. literally hosting it. <laughs> <laughs> To the invite, it just said a dinner hosted by cat, and I was like, What does that mean? <laughs> She's like, I don't know. It's just to host a dinner, it's like a weirdly passive invite. It's it's like when they report on a cop shooting, it's like an officer involved shooting. <laughs> it's a cat hosted dinner, it's a cat involved dinner. <laughs> a cat involved dinner. What the fuck? Um, well, because it's I say that it's confusing because it's like. It's bigger than just like having a dinner party and it's also not at her house. So I, anyway, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Um, okay. Let's get into the questions though, unless you have more to add. My vibes are good too, I guess. Thanks for asking. <laughs> Actually, I beg to differ about your vibes. <laughs> I've been negative so far. <laughs> no, you've been okay, actually. I was uh, talking about your, your rant, you ranting earlier about your meeting is running long. Yeah. You know, forgetting that I have a, a boring nine to five, you know, we got... Uh, a little rooftop BBQ happening this Saturday, so. Yeah, we Things. have access to a roof, which is actually maybe the greatest privilege there is in mm -hmm. New York. Mm -hmm. We had access. lunch up there yesterday. We literally had a Wednesday lunch grilled. on the roof. We yeah. grilled, which is so, it felt so fucking bougie. Mm -hmm. It was, it is. To grill on a Wednesday yeah. at noon. Yeah. The craziest thing I've ever done. Anyway... That's just a lot of brags right there. We can cut all of that. We can cut it all. I mean, should we tell them things that are awful about our lives? No. Let's just leave that part out. Sure. <laughs> Nothing's awful. We can record it after the pod, and then you can just splice them in, if it seems too braggy. <laughs> just like editing and us being like, I have horrible back pain. I worry about my parents. <laughs> just like that Loki um, thing that they put out with uh, Owen Wilson. You know what I'm talking about? Mm -mm. They put out some like promo about Owen Wilson working on the new Loki show that I don't give a shit about or will never watch. I also don't even know what a, the Loki show is. Loki is Tom Hiddleston's oh, character. Oh, Loki. No, no, no. Loki. Oh, Loki. Okay. Like the god of mischief. Okay. He's from the Thor universe. Okay, fair enough. It's don't one know. of the Avengers. Never heard. Antagonist. Okay. Anyways, he's got his own show like WandaVision. And I think Owen Wilson's on the show. I might be getting my facts wrong, but essentially there was like some promo that I saw or was like some behind the scenes featurette and it was, he was talking about working on it and every single word he said seemed like it was cut from a different sentence. <laughs> That's really funny. 
It was like one of those ransom letters. Should we play it? <laughs> yeah, you need to embed. Okay, let me pull it up. Hold on. Embed. <laughs> this is the first time for me in the Marvel Universe. They first spoke to me about Iron Man and that Captain one, right America there. and even Hulk. I was like, well... Yeah. That's also kind of how he talks. Oh, he's much older. I'm kind of nostalgic seeing Owen Wilson. Yeah, it What's makes me want to watch Royal Tenenbaums. Me too. He kind of fell off after he had that his suicide attempt. Yeah. I don't mean fell off, but like, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, that's not wording. <laughs> it sounded word. more judgy than I meant it to. <laughs> or I like mean, they like, were connected. Or, I think he took probably a very healthy break from the toxic world that is Hollywood after his mental health was I sure hope suffering. so. Yeah, I sure hope that's what happened. <sighs> yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it was like very much like a... <laughs> MTA <laughs> announcement. I sometimes, yeah, I feel like I, I mean, podcast editing, man. Sometimes you're really doing like s- some crazy yeah. splicing. Yeah, you're making a little Frankenstein sentence. Yeah, I, like who knows if I'm even saying these words right now? Yeah. <laughs> Did that? I'm so like I happy to be podcasting today. <laughs> I really like my boyfriend, Avi. <laughs> <laughs> Just making you say sweet things about me. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, okay, let's get started. What are your views on woke culture, sir? Oh, man, we're dying. Can you read the actual question? Yeah, let's read the question. Actually, it was literally just, what are your views on woke culture? Okay. (laughs) A really long time ago, actually, I think I got this question probably, I have like a big doc of questions, and I go through them. They're from over the last year, and there's just like hundreds, but I feel... Sometimes I, the reason I ask for more on Instagram is I feel like I just need like an influx of like freshness because mm-hmm. sometimes I feel like these questions are really old. The people probably don't give a shit about anymore if they're mm-hmm. answered. So anyway, in case people are listening or wondering yeah. why. But I kind of like poked through and I feel like I've skipped this one a lot. And for some reason, I was just in the mood to answer this week, which is crazy because this is such a wild question to try to answer. It's a booby trap. But anyway, I think like I was... I think I was interested in answering this one because I, w- I wanted to try to capture what I think has happened to world culture that I feel like is has been frustrating me. Mm-hmm. But it was really hard to put to words without being really dismissive of a something that like I think I used to believe in more, and I mm-hmm. didn't think I was malicious when I was believing in it more. And I same. think a lot of people aren't. Yeah, you're in the same boat. So I feel like I wanted to be. Sometimes it's hard to be like critical of something while also understanding where it's coming from without feeling like super dismissive. And sometimes I actually think the reason this conversation is so contentious is because people who are anti-woke are really dismissive and people who are woke are really dismissive. Like it's like, it's a very, obviously it's a very divisive conversation. Yeah. I'm not trying to be, I'm not trying to ally myself with like Steven Crowder or Ben Shapiro. Or Barry Weiss. Or Barry Weiss. or. I mean, there's also like anti-woke people who are like dirtbag left too, like uh-huh. go further. Totally. There's there's all different types of anti-wokes all around the political spectrum. But I do think that most people who are like make anti-wokeness like their primary concern are kind of like missing the point, which is that like I think the best critique about wokeness as in its current permutation, which is different than its like original permutation, mm-hmm. is that it's sort of like focused not on like urgent uh, problems. Yeah. So to focus on anti-wokeness as an anti-woke feels right. kind of like it's falling in the same trap. But anyway, why don't you tell me your perspective if you want, mm-hmm. or you could just respond to like certain things I said if you felt differently about anything. Sure. Uh, where to start? I feel like woke culture, I think the thing that stuck out to me first in the question was like woke culture as a term. 
Right. Like it's it's become um, it's become this weird sort of miasma term. Like there's this sort of like vaporous idea of quote unquote woke culture. It's similar to cancel culture. It's similar way. to cancel it culture in that it's things. a catch all yeah. for people who are trying to make one argument or another. Right. I think it started off like a lot of these things where out of a certain skepticism that's real. Right. Stay woke keep a third eye open. It's similar to being red-pilled in some ways. When I was like sort of doing a very cursory Googling on this topic, you know, people started saying stay woke in response to what happened in Ferguson to Tamir Rice and these other people who were killed. There was a narrative that was constructed by the police that was then found to be inaccurate. Uh-huh. It started with Erica Badu, right? Or she Erica Badu had a song that was like not started, but she she yeah she yeah she was a part of it. There was a there was like an old blues guy in 1938 who had a song about saying woke, and it's like basically stay skeptical and just like it was a, a in response to a, a, it was like a song about two white women who had been su- supposedly raped by eight black men. This is in 1930 something. So like it was about the dangers of existing in a largely white society for black people. It they, was, they were wrongly accused. They were wrongly accused, yeah. presumably, and um, sort of the the pitfalls of existing in a world where you have control over the, the the collective reality that we all sort of create together. The thing that I read about Erica Badu was that she actually got it from, I think it was like a Harlem based artist who was just talking about like the hustle, like trying to stay awake. Yeah. And then after the song, I think she started to kind of twist the meaning mm-hmm. to be more political. Mm-hmm. But maybe it sounds like it has like a few different kind of historical pathways. Yeah, I mean, I think so, you know, and just in general, I think it's like good to stay skeptical, to stay alert. You know, those things, especially like it came from that sort of space. It the makes, word was stolen, really. Well, it's just everything needs to be ground up into like run through the sausage grinder of just like mass media and PR in our country and turned into some gristle for the spectacle, right? There needs to be, it needs to be somehow converted into a culture war thing. So Democrats can be for it. So Republicans can be vehemently against it so that that consumes all the oxygen and all the underlying concerns. I think you kind of talk about this in your piece or in your response on the newsletter, you, you um, talk about the importance of symbols, right? And we live in a time of not just like mass... I mean, people were talking about mass media before the internet, right? Right. So imagine what mass media is now. Right. It's like a completely different fucking beast. We almost need a new term for it. Right. These symbols occupy so much of our time, you know, and our just like the public consciousness. So this this sort of vaporous term, woke culture, is now... Um, it stands. It means two different things to two different people. It's like that thing where you look at it one way and it's a blue and a black dress, and you look at it the other way and it's a white and a gold dress. Or it's dress. An, a vase or an old woman. And it's a vase or an old woman. It's Yanny. It's Laurel. Or wait, it's a young woman or an old woman. A vase or a. It's an old vase or a young woman. <laughs> Something like that. Um, and it's just you know, there are people who believe in social justice on one side, which is you know. Technically, I also believe in that. And then there are people who think that it's stifling or alienating, which in some sense I do also understand that perspective. Yeah, it's funny because I had somebody like reply. I posted that I was going to be answering the question on my Instagram and somebody's like, wait, by woke, do you mean like performative wokeness or like actually like being woke? And I was like, I don't even know how to answer this question. Right. Right. Because it's like, I think it was coming from someone probably who aligns more with like kind of woke culture Mm -hmm. 
Whereas, like, I feel like I don't see as strong of a difference. Right. From, like, and I think what was important about this question was, like, defining what I meant by woke culture now, which I right. definitely think is different. Yeah. Um, and this is our experience with it, too. Yeah, it's going to be different for everybody, which is, like, I kind of wanted to, I kind of started by defining it mm-hmm. and then kind of critiquing what I was defining. But I think, like, something that maybe was hard to put into what I wrote that I think might be easier to explain is what I meant of like, what I meant by saying that the symbols are sort of reimagined as progress rather than like what symbols are supposed to mean. Mm -hmm. So I think like the best example I can come up with is say representation, for instance, like being able to see somebody who looks like you in the media. Mm -hmm. The reason that I think that that's good is because it would indicate like more opportunity for everybody, like a, a, a more equitable society, um, one that where the media like reflects the actual population, and one where if that person is in a movie or maybe they're in a position of power, maybe that maybe they bring some of the concerns of that group to the table, etc. So I think the actual wins are like more on the ground. They're about like equal opportunity. They're about policy change. They're about like what it means for society to be more equitable. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think through kind of like the twisted woke prison, like the win is just like that the person's in office or that the person's like in the movie, mm-hmm. that's it. And the win is that it makes you feel good to be seen. And it's very about like the emotional win. It's a symbolic win. Right. And for me, that feels like when we separate those too much, it starts to feel like, wait, but like, why is that important? Mm-hmm. Because if that's all you need, then you can just put like, an evil person in that position and just because they represent a minority group it's a win and then like none of the kind of ripple effects of like what that's supposed to imply about society is true etc right. so it just feels it's that's why i kept saying like it doesn't feel like it maps to a coherent worldview it's like you want these things but why or like that's offensive but why and why does that matter that's yeah. offensive it's not just because it's a offensive like it's because it indicates something about culture that matters for these like economic reasons Mm -hmm. it's just like it feels like it doesn't map to like sometimes these deeper beliefs it's just like rule following kind of Mm -hmm. and i say that as somebody who like used to see myself as like a rule follower like i think i was like especially as an editor like we can and can't say that we have to have this we have to do that it's like there sometimes there was like lacking a broader or a deeper value system right i think sometimes it's like to build on your point about symbols is that yeah. because we, like I said, we live in this mass media time, these symbols that can feel largely cathartic, you know, feel good for these, like representation feels good. It feels good when you see, um, you know, someone who looks like you and you can put yourself in their shoes and aspire to reach the heights. And also, you know, they were not necessarily able to reach those heights in a previous generation. Right. right. I'm thinking of, you know. President Obama's election or Kamala Harris ascending to such high ranks of power despite being basically not voted for in California. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like that catharsis sometimes I think um, undermines like that feeling that you like did it sometimes is like, especially because politics is so divorced from people, right? Especially like national politics. It's we move so little on stuff. It's not like these are do or die issues. And I think when you, or I mean, this is for us, we have a rooftop grill, right? I think if you are closer to that shit, you know, if politics really means like your next paycheck or is, are your, is your house going to be foreclosed on, then all that shit doesn't matter. Right. Yeah. Like the emotional wins, the swelling speeches, the like 
or kind of the Democratic Party wearing like flashy designer clothes made by like liberal designers and they're being like, you know, whoever performed. <laughs> we don't even need to we don't even need to answer this question more. We just need to post a picture of Nancy Pelosi in the fucking kente cloth. Yeah. Dropping to a knee with her <laughs> fucking fist up. This is someone who's been cloth immense power who hasn't done shit with it someone who comes from such immense power in california just really became got into politics because she was good at raising money yeah um and (laughs) putting on something and saying ruth conda forever whatever the fuck that was i don't even remember anymore it didn't do shit it didn't do shit but what it did was people it gave her people started sharing the image around and being like she's on my side a certain subset of people who are, I believe, not cynical enough about the intent behind all that sort of stuff. Absolutely. I mean, you're mentioning of Obama actually also reminds me that I, I'm trying to remember. I'll, try, I'll find it before I run this episode and put it in the email. But I read um, I read some a really interesting piece by somebody. I'm not even going to like say what her profession is. I feel like she was like a, a political theorist, a black political theorist. Mm-hmm. But she talked about how like Obama's win was like, we considered it like quote unquote progress, but like if you actually look at the the response and ripple effects, it like revealed a, a stark lack of progress. And I feel like that's actually a pretty evocative example of like what a lot of these symbols do. Yeah. Which is that they are symbolic and they don't necessarily imply what they might in a in a different world. Yeah. I, I, what we elect as... Pre- I mean, this is a tangent. <laughs> this is no longer about woke culture. But we elect as president. I mean, if you look at some of the more modern examples, we literally just want to be entertained, you know? Yeah. We just want someone to tell us it's going to be okay so we don't have to pay attention to the fact that we're just bombing everything and undermining democracies all around the world. I mean, I actually think that is related to woke culture because I think part of... And I didn't really get into this in my answer, but I think... Part of woke culture, as I see it, is like a commitment to like the system as it exists. Mm-hmm. It's like really like improving the system, like keep staying within the system. It's like, you know, like I feel like I hear a lot of them saying like, you know, Democrats don't get things done because it's like really hard to get things done. There's like a lot of like forgiveness on the side of the like institutional powers that be uh-huh. and a lot of like, we just need to get like better, more inclusive advertisements, more inclusive beauty products that sell yeah. you things you don't need. More inclu- like it's just if, if you know shop shop this way, like like show your values by like spending more money on stuff you don't need because the brand it's branded well or whatever, and it's sort of like it's not that I think all these things are bad. It's just that I think that there's this underlying commitment to a system that's mm-hmm. broken, of course. You think so? I feel less strongly about that. I mean, I feel like a lot of people were saying defund the police, you know. Oh, I thought you were being sarcastic. Like, you didn't think the system was broken. Oh, I, you So you think that there are people who, like, think the institutions are broken. I think, I mean, for sure, but I'd say I'm talking about, like, woke culture specifically sometimes feels like it's about making things more equitable within, like, within the kind of structures that we have in place. I feel like that's not the association I make all the time. I think what I associate more with it is... um, I think a lot of woke culture is like teaching people how to speak to other people. You know, it's like if you're X, Y, and Z, you need to take a back seat. You know, I don't want to make it into an entire conversation about pronouns and stuff. I think it's fine to, you know, try to uh, treat everyone with respect. I think this is why these conversations are so hairy. It's like, you know, there's so much of a, okay, let me give you a little lecture on on how to talk about these people or these things. 
So anyways, like I was saying, I think I don't associate it. My immediate association is not as much with like, let's work within the system. I think that is true largely about liberal politics, which I think is definitely related to woke. Okay, fair enough. I might be kind of going into liberal territory more than right. I think if you look at like Democrats, it's a lot of like let's work within the system we have instead of here's the future we could imagine. You're right. It's like it's like when um, uh, Liz Warren was like, "We're gonna have a green army," you know? It's like okay. We would if we just had less of a massive army. Yeah, of course, of course. I have a I have someone in my life who, you know, I think ocu- exists in a lot of woke spaces, mm-hmm. and herself like gets I think frustrated when people don't use the right terms, or you know are culturally a little dated, you know, saying stuff that's outdated. And sometimes in her spaces that she goes to that are more woke. She feels the same kind of sting where she will say something that's slightly wrong and get chastised or rebuked for it. And I think that there's a lot of that happening. There's like a cycle. I mean, at least I feel like when I was in that space, I feel like I was, I would learn and then I would become like the expert and Mm -hmm. sort of like teach it to somebody else. Mm -hmm. And there's this, and sometimes it feels like people are um, becoming experts really fast and then policing other people. And that almost starts to feel like the goal. It's like this cycle of policing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. No, totally. I, I, I mean, beyond that, I think it's just like, you know, it's good to have... What you described actually sounds pretty positive, which is that, like, people are teaching each other stuff and stuff is growing. But, like, if you're not involved in that, I feel like things change. Or, it's, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm getting old and now everything it seems like it's going so fast and I can't watch a TikTok without having my head hurt a little bit. But it's like, you know, culture is a slow-moving, like, massive thing. I'm all about advancing the culture and and providing everyone with the dignity that that any human, you know, respects. But it's like... Or deserves. Commands. Whatever the word is. But it's like, I feel like there's like a missing patience or something. Or I think sometimes those things can distract us from the real issues at hand. Yeah. I feel like there's a little bit of ego involved. There's a lot of, like piling on online to like individuals and like that don't actually challenge like systemic power Uh or like have anything to do with policy change like there's a little bit of like i use one-upmanship because i think semantic one-upmanship because i think that there's a little bit of like who can catch who saying the wrong thing and it just feels like it doesn't actually have to do enough with progress and i remember feeling like that Mm -hmm. i remember feeling like I was catching someone and not being well read enough or the people were catching me. But I feel like, I guess I, I became a little disillusioned by that as like a path to progress. Totally. It's a very diffuse cultural project that's being done by a certain number of people instead of like a larger thing. And it erodes solidarity, I think just on some level. For sure. And I think we're all, we actually are all on the same side. Like, Sure, there's diff- definitely power differences. And I think that's why it's, I, we were talking about this. It's hard for me sometimes to talk about like identity politics, for instance, in this mm-hmm. case, which I think is oftentimes overlapping a lot with woke culture. As someone who has a lot of privilege within these yeah. systems. So I think like... Though you are from, as we often discuss, a historically colonized people like myself... <laughs> Sure, yes. Maybe a few, a few more generations back, but like, you know. I mean, you had family that left Eastern Europe. 
Yeah. Due to the Holocaust. Yes. I don't have, I did not have like relatives on the Mayflower, let's say. But yeah, I mean, I guess I was just going to say that like, yes, there are power imbalances within, on the left, but I think that overall it, we would do better at like cohering around ways that all of us are not liberated because of, I don't want to say like capitalism, but like, like, you know, whatever we're, 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 the regime we're working under, I feel like it just, it, it's better to like seek out solidarity and like come together versus like see who can just be like the most woke. It just feels like it's not in, in service of the broader project. Well, I think the internet has a lot to do with that too. Yeah. I think a lot of times it's part of your overall package, you know, <laughs> this is yeah. part of the like brand guidelines. Yeah. Like one upping people. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, yeah, I think a lot of times it's, it's meant to stifle people or like, you know, you just, there's like a conversation that's one-sided because, I mean, this has happened in my own life. So I'm obviously like, you know, projecting my own experience onto this. But I think largely we, we, to circle back to the identity conversation, you know, we talk a lot about identity and, <laughs> you know, cultural appropriation, right, is another one of these conversations, it's, which is like cultural sharing is, you know, can be very good. I think, um, I think the underlying thing, which is like a lot of times there are people who have been historically disenfranchised, you know, we're living in the post-colonial era, but there's no larger project for like a post-colonial restoration that's happening. (laughs) It's not in the UN and we have lots of neo-colonial projects, you know, check the news, see who's bombing who. But, uh, yeah, it's, what was I going to say about cultural appropriation? What I was thinking as you were talking is like, here's an example of like my kind of like former wokeness coming out. The other day you asked me if, you said your mom was asking if I wanted to wear a sari Mm -hmm. to an Indian wedding we're going to in a few weeks. And like my instinct is is to be like, no, I have like no right to do that. And I think it's like, that's like my rule following nature. It's like, no, that's like, I shouldn't, I'm not allowed to, or like that's disrespectful. And then it's like, okay, well wait, let me just like, like, let me just back up a second and be like, well, why is that a rule? And like, actually in this situation, like you want to share your culture with me. Yeah. I will be learning about it. I will be around people who like want to share it yeah, with me. Yeah, my mom would be offended if you didn't. And not offended, but she would be like... Hurt. Maybe slightly injured. Yeah, so it's like, I think that's just a good example of like the kind of like rule kicking in without like the underlying idea that like why that rule is there in the first place. And I think sometimes woke culture you can get really caught up in those rules without like thinking about times where like actually I don't think it applies here or like I don't know I think there's this like this whole like yeah intention doesn't ever matter like context doesn't ever matter and I'm like I actually think it really does yeah I think ultimately you don't want to just I mean (laughs) people move because of the free flow of capital you know through this global network there's no like larger cosmopolitan project that we need to bring people together and so we just jam a bunch of people together. A bunch of them are poor, and they're from countries that were had their all their resources sucked out of them by colonial powers. And then we get mad at people because, like, some white lady in L.A. wants to open a yoga studio that sells turmeric, right? Because she's the beneficiary of living in this empire. And I think that, like, yeah, you can make an argument that what she's doing is fucked up. But really, it's not that fucked up that this, like, one lady wants to do this. What's fucked up is that there was this historical wrong that's not been righted and no one gives a shit. I mean, I guess we're, we, after much consideration, are sharing um, vaccines with India. But it's like... (laughs) 
Yeah, I see what you're. I see what you're saying. It's kind of like, like we focus on the rule breaker or like the rule instead of kind of like why the rule exists. Why it exists. It's this. It's yeah. this thing about symbols again. It's yeah. like I mean, I, I have my own frustrations being you know a member of a diaspora community, especially like an Asian diaspora because of the the nature of Asian people that are here. There are a lot of blue collar Asian workers here, but there are a lot of you know H one B visa, and I fall in the latter category because my parents came here for high skilled labor, and it's like. Um, the one thing that the identity conversation in America completely obfuscates is any kind of class stuff. I think right. a lot of times you have black and brown stand in for class politics when in reality that is, I mean, there's, they're definitely linked, right? I don't think that anyone can disagree with that. They're of course linked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, it's painting with a broad brush. And um, so, you know, it's just like. I get personally frustrated when me and a bunch of other people who, yeah, a bunch of other Indian people who grew up upper middle class get pissed off because like white people say chai tea. You know, it's like, don't you have like a fucking poem about mangoes to write? Obvious. <sighs> it's just so annoying. It's not a real problem. Like you want to feel tied to you, but there is some, there is something about feeling like you've been oppressed or that you're the underdog that is appealing and that has current social currency. Yeah, especially now. When in reality, in Bengali, when you say bread, you say pão ruti, which pão is from like Portuguese, which means bread, and ruti means bread. So you're getting pissed off at people saying chai tea and you're saying bread, bread. Also, like people saying chai tea, they're just saying what they learned. Yeah. It doesn't have anything to do with like the issue with... Clo- I mean, like I understand the idea of like educating on some of these things, but yeah, being... I don't know if the like indignation is like being righteously channeled in, in the direction it should no the, the anger is at colonialism um like somebody not opening their yoga studio because like people canceled them is fine i mean that person maybe learns something but like it doesn't actually change the problem the like mm-hmm. reason that problem existed in the first place what, it, what alison roman said what she was like she called something a stew when she it was, was making like, stew she was, was things, a- calling things stews when they were actually like resembled curries right yeah, and did we, so we, we by get, canceling her or whatever, what, what, did we, what, did we, what purpose did we serve? Yashar Ali got some clout out of it. <laughs> <laughs> She's back on YouTube, and every single power structure that was in place, all those places that sell curry, are, those countries that have curry as, their, you know, as part of their cultural cuisine are still fucked. This is kind of what I mentioned in my answer, and we should move on soon because... Yeah, we were really circling a lot of stuff. Well, it's not that we were circling, it's that there's just so much to say, but like now we've almost filled our whole podcast with this. Yeah, you got to cut um, a lot of it, though. No, I think it's interesting. Like, I actually think this is probably like the most worthwhile one to talk about. The, th- the last thing I was going to say, though, is that I think there is like this acknowledgement that things are systemic, and that a lot of this ignorance is like conditioned in us, like people aren't taught about it. Mm-hmm. Um... But there's still a lot of, like, retribution at, like, the individual level. And sometimes I feel like those two ideas are a little bit out of step. I mean, you could talk about this with, like, sexism, right? Which is that, like, we say that, like, boys are taught this, boys are taught that. Like, they're not, you know, the reason they're like this on average or whatever is because of these, like, larger powers and, like, ways that we talk about gender in this country. And yet a lot of the like anger is on like individual men mm-hmm. when actually like if I was born a man, I would probably be similar. And so I think it's like, yeah, the issue is no one understands how much leg room I need on the subway. <laughs> Stop. 
That's like, I guess the issue is not with individual. I mean, that doesn't mean I don't think you should like. There are people tough. with access to the levers of power that you know you can rightful that you can rightfully uh, sort of direct your anger towards. I'm not yeah. saying that it's always wrong to be mad at somebody. And people should like learn and stuff like that. Yeah, if you see a sackler in the street and you want to throw fucking rotten tomatoes at him, probably a good idea. What's a sackler? The sacklers, the opioid people. Oh, 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 oh. The Sacklers. Oh. The people who own... The, yeah, yeah. Also, I'm not saying that individuals are never at fault. It's uh -huh. just that it's like... It, I think sometimes it distracts from yeah. like the reason that we're mad at them in the first place, which is right. actually a much larger issue. Yeah, which is Eve's original sin of eating from the tree of knowledge. <laughs> it really all comes back to Eve. <laughs> okay, um, should we move on? Let's. I feel like I, I thoroughly canceled myself. Yeah, I mean, do you want to leave that thing in about... Um, poems about mangoes yeah leave that shit in i don't give a shit i mean it's like wait know. why do you make fun of poems about mangoes like why is that kind of your go i'm actually curious like what's that why is that your go-to is like a stand-in for what is that a stand-in for to you essentializing an experience first of all everyone likes mango it's fucking delicious <laughs> you don't have to write a poem about it or everyone should write a poem about it but it's just like it's there's just an essentializing that I hate of the experience. It's like, but that's a critique, really. Isn't that more a critique of like white supremacy, like essentializing other people's cultures? I mean, I'm reading about like, don't you think that like Asian people have been exoticized in that way, mm -hmm. and therefore it's like reinforced through yeah. like who gets a voice or whose poems get published or whatever. Totally. I mean, it's my own personal frustrations with yeah. it because I exist in a place where it's a lot of people who are doing that. It's like a lot of just people who went to liberal arts colleges. And it's not like I'm not proud of my culture or the unique things about it. And I love, you know, engaging with that. But there's like more than just that. And, I, you know, third culture kids, it's like a lot more complicated than that. And I think uh, that's what frustrates me is that like essentializing. Yeah. I feel very different from a lot of my Indian peers, but I feel different from everybody. Because I'm, I'm a cool loner. <laughs> Ultimately, you're just an outcast. I'm just a rebel without a cause. <laughs> no, okay. I was just curious like, what your reasoning was for that, for mm -hmm. people who don't understand you or yeah. your perspective as much. Yeah, better. yeah. Fair enough. <sighs> okay. Tips for having a great 30th birthday. How was your 30th birthday? <laughs> I'd say my tip for having a great 30th birthday is drink lots of water and stretch. Um... You're, you're, you covered your 30th birthday party, which was a real blast. Yeah, we had a magician, which, like, I kind of always thought that, like, magicians were annoying, like, in theory. Uh -huh. He's actually technically he a great. mentalist. Ryan. Oaks. Ryan Oaks. I ended up actually linking him in, in my... Good, I, good I for know. you. He deserves it. He does. I feel like people should hire Ryan Oaks. He was actually such a little... A gem. A nice guy. He, like, walked around the party and did, like, I don't know, not crowd work, but, like, short of hand... What is it called? Slide of hand stuff. Slide of hand stuff. And then he, we kind of like, once we all sat down for dinner, he like did a big show and it was, it was crazy. Like, love to I watch, actually already talked about this. Now would love to watch that Harmony Corinne, David Blaine thing with that guy. Get his take on it. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I think your 30th was great. I think um, one thing that was, that we had in common about our 30th birthday is that like, despite our best efforts, we had a sense of dread about turning 30. Absolutely. I think everyone does. I yeah. think you mentioned this in your answer, which is like, you're going to feel a way about it. It just, it feels weird when your tens number goes up, right? You always feel something about that. We have right. 10 fingers. And so we have this arbitrary base 10 counting <laughs> solution. And, uh, that is so crazy to me yeah. that if we had seven fingers, like we would just, we would just be base seven. Sevens. 
so just I think there's like you can't there's some there's at some point there's nothing anyone can tell you because I told you it was fine, and people told me that um, in New York your late twenties go till you're thirty three, which is true. They start. Well, here's the thing: your thirties start when you're twenty eight, mm-hmm. but your twenties end when you're thirty three. Is that okay? <laughs> right. Yeah, absolutely. That's how I. That's how I. That's been my experience. Of it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's at one at some point you're just going to have to sort of resign yourself to a larger force, which is that you are going to feel funky about it for a little bit. But I think that um, the best advice is to not lean into your depression, which is what I did. Yeah, this is so Avi's birthday. We we were roommates, but we weren't together yet. Mm -hmm. In fact, I was still kind of like sad for my breakup at this time. Yeah. So I don't think we were. I wasn't like we got to do something fun for your birthday. I think I was just kind of like, oh, what? Like, what are you doing? Like, I don't think that we were all that close yet. Yeah. Well, actually, it was maybe we were starting to, but I don't think. I think you decided to leave town. Yeah. Because you were like, you know what? I don't want the prep pressure uh-huh. of like planning the right thing or the fun thing for like, sure i didn't want that bringing together these different groups i think like there's some like whatever birthdays are kind I, of i like, felt i felt fu- funky about it because i wanted to be with my family partially because my you know my grandfather yeah he and i had the same for for the listeners for the listeners we were both born on the same day he had died so this is my first birthday alone my 30th yeah, he, that that spring yeah that right same year yeah and so, you know, I wanted to be home with my family, my dad's dad, because he, we were all very close. He lived with us for periods of my life. Um, so I went home. I left all of my friends in New York and whatever. And um, I don't even remember what we had for dinner. Like, we got, like, shitty takeout. And then I went to watch the female Ghostbusters reboot <laughs> in theaters. The Ghostbusters starring an all-women cast. Yeah. Um, not good. Which you saw because you are a Ghostbusters head. I mean, Ghostbusters is largely the reason I ended up in New York. I think it really psychically affected me. <laughs> I think my entire personality is largely molded in the in the model of Peter Venkman. I don't know if that's true, but Avi loves Ghostbusters. It's a very nostalgic yeah, movie for you. I mean, it was like the first VHS we, I think, like owned... Yeah. And so we, I just watched it over and over as a kid, as many kids my age. So I think do. you thought that would be like a fun thing to do, but you went and sat with your parents. I went and sat with my parents and my brother. My mom asked if she had to go. <laughs> and I was like, yes. Yes, it's my birthday, mom. Thank you. And it was okay. Leslie Jones is like, you know, no, very you hated charismatic. It. Didn't you hate that movie? I think when I saw it, I was like trying to convince myself that it was okay. Anyways, I just ended up being depressed for three days after my birthday. Yeah, like I feel like it was such a dark birthday for you, seeing Ghostbusters female or women reboot. Uh huh. I'm trying to stop using the word female. Why? Because that refers to like the sex versus the gender. Should we go back to woke stuff? (laughs) Listen, I'm just trying to you know make my listeners feel included, but um. All right. That's new to me. Well, that is a di- there is a difference. I guess so. <laughs> um, it's the women reboot. The thing is, like, women and female aren't sen- aren't like they they can't be used in the same construction of a sentence. Uh-huh. So sometimes I don't know how to say. Yeah, well, just the reboot. Then we'll say everyone knows what the fuck we're talking about. It's the Kristen Wiig one. <laughs> anyway, you went to see that with your parents. They didn't want to go. Didn't like it. <laughs> you came home. 
to to Brooklyn and uh-huh. you were just so fucking mopey. Like you were so depressed. Like and we were just like, what's up? Like and you were just I just feel like there was this cloud over your head, like a cartoonish cloud uh-huh. for like days. Yeah. I <laughs> think it was I think- like I see the future and I think think Donald Trump is going to get elected. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, yeah, because this is 2016, It was 2016. Right? Yeah. Oh, boy. Anyway, so the thing is, though, is I think that the cloud, like, vanished pretty quickly, which is what I said. It's like, there's, like, a weird feeling about 30. And I think having a weird feeling doesn't mean that you, like, are obsessed with age. I think it's literally just a result of the fact that, like, people tell you you're going to have a feeling, and it yeah. just becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah, totally. It's, like, societally reinforced... And then you just feel like you have to think about it. And then even people who like, it's similar to Valentine's Day where it's like not caring also means you have to be like anti. Right. It becomes this sort of like, oh no, I don't care that I'm 30. It's like, well, you care because you're like ranting about it. You're still thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, whatever. It's, it's, it's fake, but it's real. Yeah. Like actually most of life. T- like time. Time is fake. Time was invented to make sure that we could keep productivity numbers i think about that all the time where i'm like 10 minutes i'm like what's that yeah yeah exactly (laughs) it's nothing it's It's completely fake it's fake um anyway 30 is fake that's our take anyway so like i had a fun 30th you had a bad 30th and actually like it's fine it's no difference it doesn't matter it's just a story in like two months it becomes a story yeah or even like a week it's it's like yeah, so I think, like, do, you know, if you're kind of in, the, I, you know, I said use it to take a swing if you're kind of into that. You I thought you might need a push. Yeah, you haven't hung out with your friends in a year. Get get together with them in some way. Do ketamine, maybe? <laughs> and have a good time. Yeah, that's what everyone does when they turn 30. Do oh. ketamine. Well, that's Disassociate. That's, that's fitting. <laughs> Okay, All right. let's do the next couple because I think we'll just we can knock do these them ones. out. We'll do, let's knock them because let's get to tattoos because I feel like I know you have thoughts on that. So let's talk about therapy first uh-huh. and confidence. Um, somebody asked me, would you agree that therapy is necessary for everybody? No. Or capitalism makes us see therapy as a tool for constant self improvement, which is integral to survival under capitalism. Uh-huh. I pause because um, I have a typo in here. Makes us see therapy as a tool. Four constant, not two constant. Okay. A little anyway. behind the scenes look at the creation of a maybe <laughs> a baby BTS. news. Yeah. Um, um, you want me to? I mean, I can give you my my take. Yeah. What's your take? I think no therapy is not necessary for any everybody. I I go to therapy uh, once a week, or I've been doing Zoom therapy. Started in the pandemic, um, because life is tough, and I don't think it's just a tool for for capitalism. I think we have, but I think um, that instinct is. To be skeptical of it is a good one. I, I should have said that in my answer. I think it is too. I really like that they're asking that question. Yeah, I think that we, because of, because we see everything through this lens, our brains are captured by the ideology. So what we end up doing is patho- uh, pathologizing things that don't necessarily fit into this. You know, um, ADHD comes to mind, which is like maybe maybe you really can't get your work done because you can't harness your executive functions or maybe you just function differently and in a way that's completely acceptable but it doesn't work it doesn't fit into the structure of the nine to five he's talking about himself here. i'm talking about myself here <laughs> so, so that doesn't change the fact that you are trying to fit your focus into a nine to five yeah because it makes it i mean i also which comes back to it being like a cope i mean for you I mean, that's if you're talking about psychiatry, which is mm-hmm. like getting a prescription, I do think sometimes that can be a tool for capitalism, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it if it's about coping. It's just about whether that's I think you. I think cope is the best way to put it because it's a cope. 
like you said, you know, there are things that are out of our control that make our lives miserable. You know, I think the way that work is structured in America is very tough and it is really exhausting and mentally certainly. And so therapy helps with that, but it's a cope. And so if you want to fix those problems, it might not fix them because those underlying problems might not lie with you. Yeah. I mean, I will say that I think, I think sometimes therapy like liberates me from, again, it's individualistic. So I don't think it's collective, but it does liberate me sometimes from what I feel like are kind of like capitalist ideas that I have internalized. And in that way, I don't think it's just to cope. It's not like I'm going to get up at 5 a.m. and like, you know, whatever the weird coping with like productivity like might look like. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes it does feel like more liberatory. I think sometimes I imagine that if more people had access to this form of support plus other different versions of this form of support, we would actually be able to be more present in our communities and actually might make a better collective. Mm-hmm. So I think like there maybe there are elements to it. Like I don't think it's like I think that there are certain copes that like feel sometimes like they're in conflict with collectivism where it's like this one is I feel like it maybe is like con- based on context. There's also like bad therapists, by yeah. the way, like there's therapists who spread bad ideas mm-hmm. and like, you know, not that I'm the arbiter of like what's good and bad, but I know that there's like bad therapists For out sure. there. So I don't think like therapy is like, yeah, not a panacea. I mean, like I think I, I social think Ills. I think you're right in the sense that like, I think everyone's brains are fucked up and it's probably nice to just have someone to bounce, to reflect your own life off of, you know, just so you can get some perspective because you're stuck inside yourself. But yeah, if, you know, broader mental health would need a better system than we have, you know, so many therapists don't even fucking accept insurance. It's just a way for rich people to cope with their lives and quite frankly, embarrassing compared to what we need. Yeah. We really continue to dehumanize people who just need mental health stuff. I think they're... We don't have to go so dark, but... I mean, another kind of dark element of it is, like, corporations, like, like adding, like, free talk therapy to their benefits yeah. as sort of, like, a cover for uh-huh. the fact that, like, the people who work for them have, like, horrible work-life balance and, like, talk therapy is actually, like, not really very good like these systems that are sorry not talk therapy um like therapy over the apps like text therapy and mm-hmm. stuff like that where it's it, it becomes sort of a cover for like actually fixing like yeah. the reason some of these happen in the first place i think in general like if everybody had access to free mental health care that still wouldn't solve the problems that like we're facing as a society yeah. not even close okay let's talk about confidence really quick before we get to our last one mm-hmm. somebody was talking to me about my confidence with putting my newslet- out my newsletter. Mm-hmm. And I wrote about a little bit about how I don't think it's as much about confidence as like we might think or mm-hmm. we, people might think. And it's more about just sort of like almost uh, enduring your lack of confidence. I think you probably have a front row seat sometimes to my lack of confidence. And I think a big part of it is that I just kind of like push through it. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm just, I'm curious what your thoughts were as somebody who, I think you actually make a lot of creative work and also feel like you're not confident enough in it to put it out. Is that true? Um, why don't I put creative work out? <laughs> uh, I have to talk to my therapist about that. Um, <laughs> Bring it back to question three. Yeah. I mean, I think what's funny is that you have confidence and you are very nervous I think both of those things exist in your mind. 
Yeah, because I do have some confidence, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I mean, I think you have confidence because you know, believe yourself to be, to do, believe in yourself to do the, the requisite amount of work. You're right. always reading. You're always trying to take in feedback. You are thorough. You never try to, you're, you're not a lazy writer in that, like, you always try to rewrite stuff until it's coherent, the flow is right. Like, I think you trust yourself to have command of writing and aesthetics enough to make a salient point and to do the research and trust yourself to, you know. Yeah, which I've definitely built over time. Right. Right. Certainly. Like doing it a lot and stuff like that. And then sometimes you will just be so unsure of something you put out anyway. Or like that confidence is, I mean, when the comments were on. It was like shaken sometimes by your, I mean, I I think everyone, I don't mean to single you out. Everyone has nagging um, concerns about their takes. I know for sure that everything I've said is wrong so far on the podcast. Um, And so I think everyone has those doubts, but those like, sometimes when those doubts were then uh, appearing in the comment section, it would, it would really be kind of like, it really caused you a lot of anxiety and stress for a while. Yeah. So... Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where that falls in the spectrum of confidence. I think, um, you know, if you put the work in, <laughs> you know, I, I guess your first writing gigs professionally, like you started writing till you got, you know, amateur writing till you got to the point where you were comfortable writing and having a viewpoint. Yeah. And then you submitted and were writing under the auspices of an organization, which helped you probably feel like a writer in an ecosystem. Right? I don't know. I mean, I'm trying to, like, how do you exist in an ecosystem and feel confident about that? Hmm. Well, I was going to say, as you were talking about my timeline, I do remember getting to a point, like, in my mid-20s where I was, like, finally kind of comfortable to share my writing. Not because I was like, oh, this is perfect and groundbreaking, just because I felt like I was getting to a point where I I was no longer, like, disagreeing with myself, like, every two days. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like when I was trying to write earlier in my 20s, I just feel like I would kind of be... I would disagree with myself. I was just changing and growing so fast that I mm-hmm. was so scared to put anything in stone. And it's funny because it's like looking back, like I thought I was like so much more like sure-footed at that time when I started. And it's like now I'm like, oh, I disagree with myself then too. And I think that process is always happening. Yeah. Um, one thing that I think helped is that I was kind of ignorant. Like I wasn't, you know, I didn't study. I think it probably helped that I didn't study journalism or mm-hmm. like English or writing. And that I wasn't that aware of how high the bar could go. Like, I don't know. I think I can look back and say like, oh, that stuff was shit. But I don't think I really thought it was shit when I was putting it out. Like, I think I kind of was like, okay, I think this is like decent, like pretty good. Like I worked as hard as I could on every mm-hmm. piece. I would be, I would stay up to like 2am writing a like, which Carrie Bradshaw are you or whatever the fucking thing I got assigned. Mm-hmm. And like, I would stay up really late. I worked really hard on those little pieces. Which and Carrie like, Bradshaw are you? I don't, that's not a real story I wrote, but. <laughs> that's a really funny fake story. Um, I just feel like I worked really hard on all those pieces. So it's like, even though I can say now, oh, they were trash, like just feel free to put out trash. Like I didn't think that at the time. So I think there is a little bit of like ignorance that goes into putting things out. Sometimes I think that's better. Like you can over, you can be like too knowledgeable about something, which I think is actually a trap that you fall into. You're so well read on some of the art forms that you really respect and want to do that I think sometimes you know how high the bar can go. And as someone who's like earlier, I mean, you know, I think someone who's like not put stuff out or whatever, it's just too far from your own bar. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes that holds people back. I mean, to state the absolute obvious. Yeah. You can, you can like over, you can over prepare. Like, I mean, I was just listening to a Seth Godin podcast, uh-huh. which I mentioned to you is right. I didn't agree with everything. 
parts were a little cringe to me, but like I actually found some of his ideas really helpful, like for as an individually inspirational framework. Mm-hmm. Which is that, like, it's just going to sound like a fucking TED talk, but, like, you just have to put out a lot of bad stuff. Yeah. Like, that's just, like, literally was, how it goes. I was talking to my cousin, and he was interested in making some uh, new music. He was in a band when he was at Brown. Either way, he, when he was in college, he was in a band, and then he started putting out some new music on his own. And he was like, yeah, I just want to do, like, I want to just, like, quickly write 40 songs so I can get the bad stuff out of the way. Like, he knew, built into his process. This is Shomoko, so he's a fucking genius. He gets it. Yeah. But, um, yeah, you kind of just have to be bad until you're good. Yeah. It's part of the process, so you kind of just have to endure it. Unless you don't have the fortitude, like I don't, to endure um, publicly acknowledging that you are, you know, fallible and a human and have uh, flaws and blind spots. Um, In which case, you just keep that all bottled up, and then you just turn, you you turn 35 and wonder where all the time went. It's tough, because I think... (laughs) No, I think it's tough, because I think... It's easy for me in hindsight to be like, yeah, you just got to put a little bad stuff. I did. But it's like, I really don't think I thought it was that bad at the time. Mm -hmm. So I do think that like sometimes creatives like forget that they thought their stuff was good. And then they realize later it was bad. Uh So I really do think that there's like a level of ignorance. And sometimes I think if you become too studied, that, that, that ignorance gap closes too fast. I think there are people who studied who go in just like prepared, you know? I know, but it's going to be really hard to put out stuff when you realize how bad it is. But I do think you should just put things out, at least to like a small, whatever putting it out means to you. Like, you know, this person who's writing a newsletter to their friends and family. I think that's really nice. Like, get some responses. Like, put it out into the world and see how it looks in the light. Yeah, it's it's art. It's you're in conversation with your audience, so you need an audience, and you need that's that's like important feedback. Yeah. So you, if you really are serious about that, you know, you need to find people who are trusted confidants and. And share that shit. Yeah, or even just... It could even just be cathartic for you to, like, close the loop on something. I don't mean you specifically. But also me specifically. (laughs) But also you specifically. I think it's just sort of, like... I'm just gonna let you do that before I talk. Sorry. (laughs) Because I can't, like, mute your mic. No, I'm glad you had a little chip snack. I actually forgot what I was gonna say. (laughs) No, I actually think it's fine, because we're kind of... I don't know. We're circling around this. I just think like there's so much talk around this mm-hmm. that I really am. I'm trying not to get into like such platitudinous, go in such platitudinous directions. Okay. Here's 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 the the um, devil's advocate take. Okay. Don't put your art out there. There's too much shit out there. It's just like all cacophonous. I know that you think that you've revolutionized putting uh, two different cool colors together and with a sans serif font, but you haven't. Don't. Hey, don't do I art. don't like this direction. Okay, fine. <laughs> Cutting it off from the record. <laughs> okay. Actually, I think what you got, what you said though, gets at an important point, which is that sometimes you're not making stuff to like contribute to canon, like or compete with other people who are good at it. It's actually like purely individual. Like we're talking about your life. We're talking mm. about individuals' lives. Like you don't have to be like the the idea of comparing yourself to like the best is just so absurd. Like yeah. what does that have to do with you? Right. That's not the reason that you make something. I'm literally like just repeating things everybody already knows, but sometimes I think it's helpful to just hear it again. You're making things for yourself mm-hmm. to share and connect with people. Like yeah. just sometimes I think it's helpful just like I said this a couple weeks ago in my Instagram thing like zoom in on your little world. Yeah. Sometimes you just need to zoom in on your little world. It's really nice to just kind of like cater to your to your needs and wants and wants. Mm-hmm. <sighs> that was very nice and inspirational. 
I, I and mean, but no, I'm, no but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go anywhere from there. It's gonna feel a little bit bad. A little bit bad. I think that's like literally why art is feels good too. They're connected. You can't put out art and always feel good about it. That's just like that's just not how it works. Mm-hmm. It's antithetical to the to the purpose. Yeah. Okay. Let's end on tattoos, which I think is a little bit more fun. Mm-hmm. This person, I'm going to read their question. I spiraled the other night for like an hour thinking about tattoos. I don't have any tattoos, but I have a strong urge to get one and I'm conflicted. Because putting something permanent on your body is like saying to the world, I'm confident this part of me is permanent. But the one thing I'm confident about is that everything is temporary. And then I think, well, I guess I could put that on my body, but isn't that kind of in conflict with the whole idea? So I guess what I'm asking is, what are your thoughts on tattoos? Am I taking it too seriously? How can I not take it as seriously? And what does it mean to validate validate myself in that way i don't want to just reiterate my answer because i'm Mm -hmm. assuming people have read it Mm -hmm. if you haven't and you're curious you can read it okay you might want to do the cliff notes (laughs) i guess the cliff notes is that for me um the reason i like tattoos is because nothing is permanent yeah first of all you are not permanent Mm -hmm. your body's not permanent nothing you will think and feel and like will be permanently true and I think that there's something kind of like liberating and embracing that. Yeah. And I find it to be a really good practice for me. I mean, I have little tattoos. I, you know, I'm not getting someone's name in huge letters across my back. <laughs> you know, I don't feel like I have tattoos that are like really obviously regrettable. I think, you know, I don't, I don't love that I have EIC on my arm because everybody thinks it stands for editor in chief. <laughs> which I think is really fucking corny. Yeah. To be clear, it does not stand for editor in chief. But it doesn't really, I don't really matter. It doesn't matter. I think it's kind of funny. It stands for editress in chief. <laughs> yeah, It's exactly. a female version of editor. Yeah. Um, so I think for me, it's less about like, oh, I'm going to like these things forever. And more about just like embracing that like that idea is false. Mm-hmm. And that actually, I think it's kind of boring to live your life always trying to predict what you're going to like forever. In fact, I think that my life, when I got my first tattoo, my life was boring because I was so so committed to this idea that I needed to think for my future. And I think that's a, it can be a really stifling way to live. I think like you have to hold two tooths in your mind at once for sure. You know, I think people who are covered in tattoos since they're really young, probably a very different type of person from me. Mm-hmm. They're probably living maybe too much in the future, but you know, to each their own. Mm-hmm. I Maybe I like that I was in my mid twenties, you know, who knows what I would have gotten when I was 16. I wouldn't have gotten anything in 16 because I was ca- too cautious. Yeah. But, um, yeah, anyway, so for me, it's more philosophical, mm-hmm. and it's less about, oh, I'm going to like this thing forever. I know who yeah. I am permanently. Yeah. What's your experience? Because you, Avi has much bigger tattoos. You have, like, one arm that's almost completely covered, another big one on your other arm, one on your chest, one on your legs. So you're, like, you exude more of, like, oh, I have tattoos than me because mine are so small. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would say my perspective is don't get them. You think about what your mom would say or think. <laughs> No, yeah. your mom hates your tattoos. She hates them. Yeah. Every time I get a new one, she says, if you get another one, I'm not going to talk to you ever again. <laughs> Which is what a mom is supposed to say. It's actually not what a mom is supposed to say, just for the record. But I disagree, but... <clears throat> uh, my perspective on tattoos is... Um, I'm glad that I felt like I got to a point in my life, and I can't really describe how I knew, but just I just felt more grounded in, in, the, in the world and of my place in it. You know, I think I'm glad that I didn't get a tattoo when I first wanted a tattoo because I don't know how that Blink-182 tattoo would have, like, You aged. were 28, 29, right? For your first tattoo? About five years ago, probably? Mm, might have been 20, 28, maybe. 
I don't know. Um, I mean, I got mine. Uh, so your taste is a little more established. I my taste was a saying. bit more established. Yeah. I, I'm someone who goes and does a lot of research before I get into stuff. And I just really loved the history of tattoos as it parallels the history or the history of tattoos in New York and what they've meant prior to that. Uh, it's, we have this huge book in our house about the history of tattoos and it's so fascinating. Mm-hmm. It's really, I mean, if you're not, if you're not like me and you want to do more research, I'm talking to listeners. Yeah. There's so much interesting stuff. I feel like there is a, there's a lot to get into that's not just like, oh, like people in the 90s getting tramp stamps or like mm-hmm. it being alts, grunge or whatever. Like there's actually like such a fascinating and rich history that's... For sure. It's one of the oldest art forms. Yeah. Um, not, I mean, also no shade to tramp stamps. All no shade to tramp stamps. But I think just like, I guess I'm thinking about like what I grew up knowing about tattoos. Right. And I think it's kind of molded, in, or now it's sort of like, oh, it's trendy, people in cities. Uh-huh. And I'm like, actually, there's more to it. There's a lot to it. There's a lot it's to it. It's been going on for a long time. Right. And it's an interesting thing. I have a friend who's a tattoo artist, and he's take, he's been taking me through the process of tattooing. And it's like an interesting trade that's been around in New York, and it was underground for a while while it was illegal. Mm-hmm. Um, and it has been, there is, there is like sort of uh, ebbs and flows in the popularity of it. So I think, you know, you c- I kind of dove into it personally and got into the history. And then I just was like so fascinated that I had to get one. I think once you get your first one, you get, I think that's what everyone says. You get one and then you get a bunch. It's like hard to stop. I didn't have that exact experience. Mm. Um, but I know that it's a lot of people have. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. Uh, can I can I say something that I think based on what you've told me about your tattoos? Mm-hmm. I was gonna say that I feel like for you, your tattoos have like changed your relationship with your body. Oh yeah, for sure. Which I think is a really interesting angle. I've, I've read a lot of interesting essays about that, especially the way like bodies are commodified in our culture, and the way they're kind of torn apart. And I feel like for a lot of people, tattoos help you develop like a more personal relationship with your body, and mm-hmm. I feel like you have more agency. Yeah. And like I don't know, I think that's something that you've experienced for as sure. someone who has. Yeah, I mean that's a good power. point. I'm glad you brought that up. Yeah. Yeah, I think tattoos are decorative. I think I haven't always had the most healthy relationship with my body, not to get too um, earnest on the on the cast. but So it's nice to feel, yeah, like a sense of agency. Yeah. I mean, these are designs that I really love. I, you know, I think I, like the American traditional, there's like so much, you c- there's so much to draw from, you right. know, like in terms of designs and history and colors. And so like, you can really just like, look at a bunch of designs and go to love them. I mean, I, I personally like, I don't have any words on myself. I don't know that I will, or if I do, it'll, it won't be much because I like symbols, mm-hmm. like iconography. That's mm-hmm. why I have animals. Yeah. He's a lot of animals. And also if you're worried about them having a permanent thing on your body, it's like, yeah, I mean, you sometimes don't like your body. It's fine. It's nice to know that you just had control over the thing that you don't like. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's like actually, we talked about this in the beauty podcast last week, but like it's kind of traumatic that like you're so judged over things that you have no control over that there's something kind of radical or like personally empowering about getting to control some mm-hmm. part of how your body looks. Yeah. And how you perceive your own body, which is something that you don't get to do Ultimate, without it. Ultimately, it's a cope. And I've been talking about this in therapy. <laughs> Stop. Just to make it, just to tie them all back together. Yeah. I mean, I think one, another thing that's different between us is I kind of mentioned that I don't really think about my tattoos very often um, or look at them. Mm-hmm. I don't think that's true for everybody. Like, I think that you really like your tattoos, like, in a very active way. Yeah. Um, 
I love I think, them. yeah, you love them. You really appreciate them. I think, like, Avi, he looks out for, like, artists. I mean, I look out for artists I like, too, who have, like, a more quirky sensibility, whereas I think yours are more, like, traditional, traditionally artistic. And um, that's not to say, though, that, like, everything you think, everything about your tattoos is perfect. Like, I think, I mean, I'm talking specifically, there's one tattoo that Avi has that I think is, like, that I would change if I could. <laughs> <laughs> but the point I was going to say is that like, actually it doesn't matter at all. Like it just, I mean, even though you do look at your tattoos and like actively like them, I also think it's not the biggest deal to have something that you don't like that much. Like it's not like somebody DM'd me actually, when I said I was going to answer this question, they're like, I actually have tattoos that I'm not like quote unquote perfectly happy with. And it's just kind of like a shrug. Yeah. Like it's not that, and it's really not that big of a deal. You're just kind of like, I don't know. It's like not liking a freckle. It's like, who fucking cares? Like you yeah. actually get used to it. You don't see it. You don't think that they like clash with your clothes. Like I, just, I don't know. Unless you have like. I still prefer this particular tattoo um, to your bare not skin having a tattoo. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like I don't, I don't know, have the same issues with it to be clear, but <laughs> I thought you did kind of think it was. A I mean, little there, bit there are things I would have maybe, maybe done differently. Yeah, but. Overall, I like the tattoo, but the point is, like... It's not that traumatic, I guess is what I'm saying. So yeah, I think I imagine, like, I imagine that, like, if there, it wasn't perfect, like, oh my god, what would I do? But mm-hmm. it's... Because it's so permanent. But I don't know, it just... It's a little bit different once you get it. It's, like, not that big of a deal. You don't really... Maybe shit's different if... I mean, I only have my arms and my legs and one on my chest. That's I know, I, I mean, of course. It's, that's what I was going to say. It's different, I guess. There are people who got, like... I don't know. I feel like there is a, like a, a type of tattoo that's like more liable to regret. I mean, I follow sucky tattoos on Instagram and it's like, what are people doing? Like a guy who got a dick tattooed on his thigh that's like longer than his shorts. So just the tip is pointing out. <laughs> and it's like, what are you going to do at the beach for the rest of your life, bro? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's definitely more regrettable tattoos, but like I have a friend who like, you know, her and her friends like hand poke something on their wrists and like it's super blurry now. Mm-hmm. And it's just kind of like a funny little memory. It doesn't yeah, actually matter. Absolutely. And I think uh, it depends, I guess, maybe if you work in a bank or like in finance, I, I, I don't even think that matters anymore. Like, uh-huh. I just think people, it's kind of just a funny story. It says something, it reminds you about some moment in your past if anyone ever asks about it. And it's just, it's a little bit, I don't know. I, th- I think it's like pretty, pretty additive versus subtractive. Yeah. What is what is the thing? My skin is a journal, and these are my stories. <laughs> Did you find that on Pinterest? It's something like there's some Pinteresty ass thing about, you know. I think I, people ironically say it. Anyway, so I think like when when my friend Tabby, which I quoted, said like, if you're the type of person to worry about whether you like the design forever, you're not the type of person to get tattoos. I think it took me a while before I like really understood what she meant, which is that like, it's not really about picking something you like forever. That's not really what the, I don't know. I, I just kind of see it as it's too, about something it's, different. Yeah. It's, that's your anxiety talking to you yeah. saying that you need to like it forever. It's going to fade. You need to come to grips with it, that it's going to age with your body too. It's going to age with your body. I, I think maybe one tip I will give is getting something that's like super trendy. Like I think there was a time, I think when I first started thinking about getting tattoos that I wanted to get this like really geometric, like a bunch of triangles and circles overlapping Mm -hmm. and i think i wouldn't love if that was on me now it would feel like it was really 2014 which is fine i would be like oh lol i was 24 in 2014 Mm -hmm. i don't even know if that's correct but um 25 and i was an idiot it wouldn't really matter (laughs) but i think like yeah i think getting something because it's like super aesthetic I mean, I don't know. I think that even goes counter to some of the uh, inf- the, the advice that you're giving, which is like, you know, I don't know. I'm okay, not trying to get. I'm not trying to get like a like a monstera tattoo. 
You know what I mean? Yeah, like, oh, this trend plant is trendy. No, I mean, I think, again, yeah, maybe that goes a little bit in conflict, but I was just saying that, like, you know, if you're looking for something, I would say that, like, I don't know, I sometimes recognize, like, in my clothes, like, oh, I like this because it's trendy versus, oh, I think I like, kind of like this in a deeper way. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes you can sort of tell the difference and maybe try to tap into that if you're really stressed about it. Like, but otherwise, you know, who the fuck cares? Yeah, and fi- yeah, talk to your friends who have tattoos to see which ones worked with artists that they liked working with. I don't know. It's yeah. like there are people who are there to help you. Tattoo artists, they've been doing it for a while. They'd probably do like, you know, three things a day. You could, you know, talk to them and, and find something that you, you will love on your body. Absolutely. And if you're a control freak, I say fucking get a tattoo. You'll realize that actually you can't control everything and, and you didn't die and you're fine. Mm-hmm. It's, I think it's a, pretty good, it's a pretty good lesson for someone who's, who maybe kind of feels really governed by their own fear. Sure. To each their own. To each their own. <laughs> I've now said that like three times in this podcast. To each their own. <laughs> maybe that's the, the slogan of Maybe Baby. <laughs> Please, no. Um, okay, and so that's basically it? I think that's it. All right, so then I guess what the fans have been waiting for, which is the Mike Lindell update. Oh, God, no. Mike Lindell, as we know, is the, <laughs> um, the CEO of MyPillow, uh, a pillow manufacturer and a close and personal friend to Donald Trump. So the latest <laughs> thing he said was that he took credit for uh, the rumors that Donald Trump will be um, reinstalled as president in August. Um, but as of like a few days ago, he's pushed that back to say that um, it'll be sometime this fall. But he's still very confident. He's moving forward with that. Um, <laughs> and in the meantime, I think he's being sued by Dominion for $1.4 billion. Um, also, his social network, Frank, uh, had, a, I think, a fairly disastrous start and crashed a bunch. And that's your Mike Lindell and update. That's the Mike Lindell update. For every time Avi's on the podcast. So you can look forward to keeping up on Mike Lindell's life for as long as Avi and I are together. <laughs> Which might not be long. Yeah, depending on how many Mike Lindell updates I do. <laughs> okay. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me back. Okay, that's it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to Soft Streak for my theme music. And I will talk to you soon. Bye. Thank mm-hmm. you.